0: Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York Podcast, and remember these words, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. We've got a lot to cover tonight, so get ready. Um, We are continuing and winding down our series with the title of The Mind, The Arena of Faith, and it is based upon the book authored by our very own apostle, Frederick Casey Price. Now, the last time we were together, we talked about so many different things, but we narrowed in on the fact that I wanted to kind of give you a blueprint, if you will, when it came to satan and his fall from grace if you want to call it that Um, and we talked about i gave you three different things to think about now i don't know if anybody remembers them so i'm just going to briefly go over them the first one was that when satan fell from his lofty position among the angels where did his thoughts for dethroning god come from that was the first question and you remember that okay good the second one was we know he's the devourer and that he walks about seeking whom he may devour but who influenced him that was the second question and then the third one was how did he come up with the idea of overthrowing Almighty God now he didn't have another Satan to plant the thoughts ideas and suggestions into his mind so the answer to that question teaches us something very valuable even about ourselves and that was super important Um, we know and it's obvious from our understanding of what happened to eve and judas and ananias and sapphira you know the people that we explored their their stories that their thoughts came from the devil himself but what evil force shot such an audacious concept into Satan's mind, and where was its origin? The answer could be surprising for some, but you know, since we went over, it shouldn't be. It should just be review. Who actually influenced him? And we discovered that no one did, absolutely no one. Then if no one influenced him, where did the thoughts come from? And we concluded that they came from what he saw. Now, our thoughts are generated not only by the devil himself, and this is so key, but also by what we see and hear through our eye gates and our ear gates. For us, Satan is the one behind that, but it's not always the thought that he plants in the mind. It can be thoughts that are generated by what we see or what we hear. Um, And, okay, we also, and I want you to turn with me, because I said this last week, but I'm going to prove it to you. Turn with me to Mark's Gospel, the fourth chapter, and the 24th verse. Because I had mentioned that Jesus has given us two separate occasions where he specifically tells us that we need to take heed over what we hear and take heed on how we hear it. So I'm going to qualify that. I don't like to just say stuff and you just take my word for it. So turn to Mark's Gospel, the fourth chapter, the 24th verse. Are you there? Okay. The New King James Version says, And he said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear it, more will be given. The Living Bible says, And be sure to put into practice what you hear. The more you do this, the more you will understand what I tell you. So that takes care of that part of what I said. But now I want to address how Jesus said we're supposed to take heed how we hear. So turn with me to Luke 8. Luke's Gospel, the 8th chapter. And we're going to look at verse 18. Luke's Gospel, the 8th chapter. Verse 18, and the New King James says, "'Therefore, take heed how you hear. "'For whoever has, to him more will be given, "'and whoever does not have even what he seems to have "'will be taken from him.'" Now, another way of saying that, the Living Bible says, "'So be careful how you listen. "'For whoever has, to him shall be given more, "'and whoever does not have even what he thinks he has "'shall be taken away from him.'" We hear things all the time. And sometimes we hear negative things, and it's right away fear can kind of seep into us when we hear certain things. Now, it's not that the devil planted a specific thought, but just something we heard or saw that we weren't being careful about when we heard and saw it, and just how we dealt with it. Now, the best example I can give of that is when you go to a doctor. And you go there and you're thinking, okay, everything's okay. And they run their little battery of tests. And then they call you in the office. And you're still thinking everything is perfectly okay. And then they tell you, well, you know, we ran a test. And we noticed that, you know, and and, and I want you to just imagine the scene. Because imagine you go to the doctor and you really are going just for your annual checkup. You don't have any lumps or bumps or anything to make you think that anything is awry. Everything seems perfectly clear to you. You know, and he calls you in and he says, well, you know, we tested your blood and we noticed that your blood cells aren't the way they should be and you're really dealing with something called leukemia and we really didn't get it quite in time, so you're in real serious condition. Now, that just throws you for a loop. Now, you heard that. The the doctor told you that. The doctor who's supposed to be your advocate, who you've known for years. You went to him, and he gives you that information. That's a perfect time for fear to just automatically come upon you. Because you know that whose report are you to believe? You are to believe the report of the Lord. But sometimes, and we can sit up and act like we just do that all the time, but being totally authentic, Fear is right on the heels of that report. And you start to think on that. And the moment you start to even go in that direction, the enemy comes in, how does it say in the word? Like a flood pouring in thoughts, ideas, and suggestions to tell you all the ways that you're going to die and not live. Because that's what he's supposed to do. So the thoughts will ultimately be generated from the enemy, and he is very clever in his use of them. So it's so important for us to make sure that we are not living an uncontrolled, unmaintained thought life based on what we may hear or what we may see, because the enemy is ready to just jump right on in and, and go for it, and we can't have that. So after considering all of this, and when you think about that, we have to figure out, and we talked about this a little bit, why, if the enemy did this, with his own mind. He, he put himself out there. He messed up his own self through his own thoughts, ideas, and suggestions based upon what he saw. How does that really relate to us? Here's how it relates to us. Because you have to understand and remember that the character of the enemy is what? Evil. So he was not happy or content with just messing his own self up. He wanted to see how he could repeat it and mess more people up. You know, just like we say little things and don't think about it. Misery loves company. That's a horrible thing to say. But it's true to a certain degree. That's how come some people you'll hear other things, which I think this is one of the most valuable pieces of information I ever received, is hurt people hurt because people who are are miserable and hurting they want everybody else around them to so the enemy I mean he did the same thing so therefore he was trying to figure out how can I mess up anybody else with their thoughts the same way I messed up myself so I figured well let me try it out and then he looked at poor little precious Eve with her little pure heart in the garden who never did anything you know really wrong and he figured let her be my test case if you will let's see if I try this with her if I try to deceive her and get into her head how is it gonna work and she went for it hook line and sinker and that set up his precedent of how he was going to use this against everybody because he wants everybody to be as miserable or more so than he ever was and that's exactly what it is that he did (laughs) and it's always assumed that every evil thought comes directly from Satan people say that all the time you hear Christians talk about that all the time but that's not true that is really not so. And as we've talked about, evil thoughts can come from what we see and from what we hear. And once our eyes focus on something or our ears become attuned to something, then that's when he'll drop in the thoughts, ideas and suggestions to actually kind of just make the whole situation worse. Our attention can be gained by what we see and hear without anything having to do with Satan haven't been directly involved in the transaction at all. He might not have had anything to do with it, but you saw it or you heard it and you went with it. He wasn't sitting in that doctor's office when the doctor gave you that evil report. It's up to you to decide which way you're going to go with it. And it's like split second decisions. We have to become, and you know, For anybody, for all of you, I applaud you because you've been here for many weeks as we're doing this. Because this is a subject matter that I promise you, if you really apply it, can change your life as a Christian forever. Because we have to get to a point where every single thought that comes across our mind, we've got to get to the point of being practiced and analyze it and decide, is this something that lines up with the word or is it not? So that you can govern what's happening in your life. It is not good enough to just sit around, love God, appreciate him, love the Lord, come to Bible study, come to church, and still be broke, disgusted, and you don't have what you need in your life. He did not send Jesus to bleed and die for us to have less than abundance. And we got to get to the point where we have it. And if you don't, you I want to urge you to get to a point where you're not satisfied with not having it. You need to have his best. I am tired of us having second best and just dealing with it. That's not who we are. But if we don't get that, If we don't see that, if we don't start working on this, we will go right on ahead, transition, go to glory, and miss out on all we could have had here. And more importantly, not just all we could have had here, but all the people around us, our family members, our friends, our communities, all of them, many of them will die and go straight to hell, all because we just sat by. Uh Uh-uh. It's not going to happen. That's why you're here. And I love you for that. I love you for that. So what do we have to do? We've got to guard our eyes. And we've got our, our, our eye gates and our ear gates, we've got to put a guard on them. We have to make sure because we know what Satan's job is and he is very good at it. And he will immediately, no matter what the situation, come in with thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. And we can't get angry with him because that's what he is really supposed to do. That is his job. It's especially easy right now in our society to get tripped up by what we see and what we hear. Think about it. Twenty years ago, there was no social media. I mean, there really was not. I mean, there was not. And if it was, it was some underground thing nobody knew about. Okay? But right now, I mean, I appreciate my phone, but sometimes my phone is like I have to put it on silent just to get a break. Because I'm constantly getting messages. I'm constantly getting text messages. I'm constantly getting all kinds of images and everything else. When you really think about it, Years ago, when you got a phone, well, I'm sure we all do, because many of us are over 16. We remember having the actual pay phone, you know, where you put in a dime and you actually called and you actually dialed the phone, didn't even have buttons, you know, you had the rotary one. And then we got all excited because we had push buttons, but you still had the pay phone if you needed something. Then they came out with beepers, you know, everybody had a beeper, you know, you had those. Then we elevated to the cell phone. But you still really were buying the phone to make what a phone call and to actually talk to people on the phone not text message them and all the rest of that well now the average person even if they don't go for these you know high pollutant phones just they could still have a little regular phone it's now considered a smartphone really what they have in their hand I have my computer in my hand with this phone Literally, anything just about that I can do on my computer, I can do with this in the palm of my hand. And if it is not something that we govern and pay attention and use carefully, it is a door that we are allowing the enemy to just flood right into our lives with. Because think about it. Back to the scenario of you sitting there with the doctor and he gives you this negative report. You could be on the train getting ready to go home. With your phone, you can go ahead and Google and figure out, let's see, all about leukemia. Exactly what is that in that little you know analogy that I gave you? Then you can check out WebMD. And then you know what? Maybe I want to see what Sloan Kettering has to say about it. All in the palm of your hand. Now, what exactly is that doing? You see, the enemy is feeding you thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. You are not even considering at this moment the fact that By the stripes of Jesus, the wounds he suffered, you are healed. You're not thinking about that. You're thinking about, well, let's see, WebMD says, if I do this, this, and this, maybe that would happen. And ooh, if I go over here to naturalpath.com, it says, if I eat this, this, and this, this. might. You have totally taken the word of God out of the calculation. You are paying attention to what's readily in your hand. Do you see that? And we can sit and act like we don't do this, but that's not going to help us correct it. So that's why my job is to talk about it. This is the kind of things we do. We self-diagnose ourselves, you know. Um, everything is available to you and you've got to watch yourself because if you're not using your phone you've got some laptop you've got some kind of something okay a a computer a desktop and you've got to watch there are people who now I will admit no one I think that I've met other than maybe a buyer, and I think I have them trumped. I happen to absolutely appreciate shopping online. I can shop throughout the world. I am not limited to the USA. I will shop anywhere, but I govern that. Because I will sit and say, "Okay." I would like to do this, but I'm not doing that now. You have to fast yourself from certain things, because you don't ever want those things to have you. You are the one that's in control of those things. But you've got to understand that, because that's something that's easily available to you. 20 years ago, I had to go into the store to buy something. If I wanted it, now I don't go to the store. I just sit and click, 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 and get whatever it is I want delivered. There's a difference, but it can be dangerous if we don't control it. It's the same things. Some people who have gambling challenges, and believe it or not, there are still believers, like we talked last week. Just because you have been redeemed and you are part of the kingdom of God, you still know how to sin. You still know how to, if you liked gambling before, you still know how to do it. And if you're not careful, you can slip right back into it. Well, guess what? Now you can gamble on your phone, gamble on the internet, you don't even have to leave your house. All I'm saying is, we've got to watch ourselves. More than we think we do, we've got to do it. How many hours do you waste on social media. You see, Facebook, people think, oh, that's so cute. I'm just putting up the grandbabies, and I'm just showing people this and that. Track yourself. How many hours are you wasting? Seeing, And if you think these people are your friends that you saw from I don't know how long ago, let there be a challenge and see if those people on Facebook come help you pay your bills or help you do something. They don't know who you are. Okay, I get people constantly sending me waves on the phone. be waving back I do not? All right. But my point is you've got to be careful. And it's not like I'm trying to sell, tell you not to be friendly, but I'm trying to show you how the enemy is sneaking into your life and sucking the life right out of you because you're wasting time. doing. Remember, in my opening prayer, you will always hear me say, people have come to give of their time for they've given of their life. That I say because you know what? This last few minutes that we've spent here, we've given up our life that we can never get back. I don't care who you are, I don't care how much money you have, you cannot redeem that time that is behind you. It's gone. So, if you're wasting all this time checking out people on Facebook, seeing this, seeing that, and Facebook's even gotten crazy. If you notice, why do you think it has all those banner ads so you can go to see what Macy's has on sale? And let's go try this out. And let's go see what Dr. I said about this before you know it you can kill hours sitting there you aren't going by the truth which is the word you because they don't ever put bible scriptures up there have you noticed that they don't ever put that up there but they take ways to take your money they take ways to get your attention the enemy is on his job it's time that we get on ours praise god turn with me to 2nd samuel the 11th chapter 2 Samuel chapter 11 we're going to look at verses 2 through 5 let me know when you're there now even before we say because what's good about this scripture is we're going to see illustrations about what happens when your eye gates become involved but I want you to think about something because this is actually, we're going to be talking about Bathsheba and all this, but some people are going to sit up and go, okay, well, that doesn't totally apply to me, really. Okay, this applies to you. There are commercials that come on TV now. And I am just, I am so glad that my grandsons are still at the age where they're looking at, you know, uh, Paw Patrol and like they have a station that just has kids shows on it doesn't really have commercials I'm so grateful for that and I'm glad that they kind of stay in that zone and I'm hoping they stay in that zone a very long time because I do not want to be there when the commercial comes on and I have to try to explain erectile dysfunction (laughs) okay I mean and this is in broad daylight at 12 o'clock noon okay why in the world would this? Remember years ago, they wouldn't show a woman like in a bra? That would be, oh my gosh. You just wouldn't. They wouldn't show that. And for your feminine products, they would never. They would give you like, you. Th- th- it was kind of like, they would put up a brand name, but never really describe what the brand was for. And they put fields of flowers, all kinds of stuff so ambiguous you had no idea what they're talking about. Now, they put up everything. They explain everything. It's. almost embarrassing and we know these things but do we need to be reminded of it constantly in commercials but the point of the matter is they are still putting up scantily clad men and women and your eye gates are seeing this and if you are trying to live a celibate wholesome life Is that helping you to see all that? I don't think so. But it's out there in broad daylight. So you are going to have to be the one to say, I'm going to shut off this. Or I'm going to DVR the programs I want to look at so that I can fast forward through the commercials so I don't have to look at that. If you don't put that governor on yourself, Mm -hmm. then you are (laughs) just torturing yourself through the things that your eye gates are seeing. So let's see what happens here with David. If we look at it in the New King James Version, starting with verse 2 in 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter, it says, Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw, key word, saw, a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said... Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent his messengers and took her. And she came to him. And she lay with him, for she was cleansed from her impurity. And she returned to her house. And the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Now, this is exactly why I like different translations. Because you can sit and read this and where it says, for she was cleansed from her impurity and she returned to her house. You can translate that into all kinds of different things in your mind if you don't know exactly what the writer meant. Okay, you really can. So if we look at this in the easy to read, it says, and it gives us some clarity. One evening, he got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his house. Okay, that's important because he's the king. From there, he saw a woman bathing. She was very beautiful. So David sent for his officers and asked them who she was. An officer answered, that is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam. She's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David sent messengers to go and bring Bathsheba to him. She had just, now here's the big difference in what the new King James says, where we don't exactly know what cleansing from her impurity is. Here it tells you. She went to, she had just purified herself after her monthly time of bleeding. Is that a little bit more clear? I think so. Okay, she went, which really is something, but anyway, she went to David. He had sexual relations with her. That's clear, okay? And then she went back to her house. Later Bathsheba became pregnant and sent word to him saying, I am pregnant. Um, I think that that's important, but look at what the message says, because it puts another little twist. One late afternoon, David got up from taking his nap. Maybe he shouldn't have nap so much. And was strolling on the roof of the palace. From his vantage point on the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was stunningly beautiful. David sent to ask about her and was told, isn't that Bathsheba? Yeah, OK, we already know that. David sent his agents to get her. After she arrived, he went to bed with her. Now, here it says, this occurred during the time of purification, which kind of explains, following her period. Then she returned home. Before long, she realized she was pregnant. And later, she sent word to him saying that I am pregnant very interesting to me on so many different levels. But the point is, we now have an understanding of what that purification is. Because sometimes people read it and they think her purification from sin and blah, 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 and that had nothing to do with it. But you've got to be able to, again, when you're reading, find out what it means. If you're not sure, don't try to look at it like poetry and try to figure it out on your own. No, find out exactly what it means so that you can learn from it. So anyway, what did what got David into trouble with all this to begin with? Wasn't the enemy, what got him into trouble? Right, what he saw. He saw this stunningly beautiful woman bathing. However, notice what is conspicuous in its absence. There's no hint at all of the devil having done anything in this situation. It is completely and totally based on what David saw through his eyes, not anybody else's. Now we're gonna look at Numbers. Turn with me to the book of Numbers. We're gonna look at chapter 13. Verses 1 and 2. Are you there? Okay. So, if we look at it in the New King James, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a leader among them." Now, I like what the message says, because it expounds upon that last part. Because it says, God spoke to Moses, send me, send men rather, to scout out the country of Canaan that I'm giving to the people of Israel. Send one man from each ancestral tribe, each one a tried and true leader in the tribe, which is a little bit better than just sending a man from the tribe, because you want in this particular instance this is serious, so you want somebody who's tried and true. But you're not going to know that if you just read the King James, that's why we read the message. But what part of you helps you spy? Your eyes, because if you don't have, you don't send a blind person to go spy for something. I mean, that's, I mean, how is that really going to help you? So therefore, your eyes have something to do with this. Why did God want them to spy out the land? To who? Well, he actually sent them to spy out the land just because he was being really kind to me, and he wanted them to see what he had told them was absolutely true. Because, I mean, I guess he knew they were kind of like weak in their faith, too. So I was like, let me help you out. I'm going to show you. So go. I'm sending these people out so you can see that what I'm saying is true. He wanted them to have experiential knowledge of the land that he had promised to give to them. So... While they stood on the banks of the Jordan River, looking over into the promised land, the land that flowed with milk and honey, God was in the process of doing what? Of actually giving it to them. So, if he was giving it to them, that would mean that the land became their possession, right? But now let's drop down the same chapter, and we're going to look at verses 31 and 32. 31 and 32. And I'm gonna share this with you out of the easy to read first. And it says, but the men who had gone with him said, we cannot fight those people. They are much stronger than we are. For those men gave a report that discouraged the people. They said the land we saw is full of strong people. They are strong enough to easily defeat anyone who goes there. If we look at it in the Message Bible, it says, But the others said, we can't attack those people. They're way stronger than we are. They spread scary rumors, notice scary rumors, among the people of Israel. They said, we scouted out the land from one end to the other. It's a land that swallows people whole. That sounds horrible. Okay, Everybody we saw was huge. Why, we even saw the Nephilim giants, the Anak giants, come from the Nephilim. Alongside them, we felt like grasshoppers. And they looked down on us. If we were grasshoppers, now how do we know that that's how they felt? I mean, but that, but you know how somebody tells you a story and then they kind of embellish it to make it sound a little juicier? That's what that sounds like to me. Like, because how do you know? But that's what they said, okay? So, now what I do like is if you read these same verses of scripture, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but verse 32, out of the traditional King James Version, not the New King James, but the traditional, it says, and they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel. Now, the thing I like about that is it establishes that the report was evil because they were not painting a story of victory. They were painting a story of defeat. But here, it's specifically telling us it's an evil report. Now, why is that so important? The reason it's so important is because unbelief to God is evil, which is why he calls it an evil report. We think any one of us would sit up and say, It's bad if somebody is using drugs and abusing them. I mean like street drugs, not, well even prescription drugs, to tell you the truth. That's why we have the opioid crisis, Okay, Or if someone is involved in adultery, that's bad. If somebody's involved with fornication, that's bad. I mean, we'd all say these things are bad, right? However, (laughs) we think it's bad for that, but the worst sin of all sin, Is that of unbelief. Because when one fornicates, uses drugs, or commits adultery, they're sinning against whom? Themselves. Okay? They're not touching God with that behavior. But once you start getting into the point of unbelief, that's when you are saying you disbelieve. That's like spitting in God's face. Okay? That to me, that's horrible horrid that is absolutely horrible that's like saying your word is unreliable and if his word is unreliable then why do you think or why would you even imagine that you're saved so I mean that opens up a whole nother chasm of things to think about and I don't think that most people intend to do that want to do that or even think about it but that's basically what in fact you're doing and that is just not correct now let's look at you right there let's look at verse 33 and the easy to read this is still numbers 13 now we're going to look at verse 33 and it says we saw the giant Nephilim people there this is out of the easy to read The descendants of Anna come from the Nephilim we felt like little grasshoppers yes we were like grasshoppers to them again that's not what they you know they're assuming that if we look at it in the Living Bible it says and we saw some of the Anakim there, descendants see I like this translation for this reason because this is real nice if you don't know anything about Anak and if you don't know anything about Nephilim you're hearing me say that but yeah okay what does that mean this tells us what it means this is the living Bible and it says, and we saw some of the Anakim there, descendants of the ancient race of giants. So now we even know about that, okay? We felt like grasshoppers before them, they were so tall, That makes sense. If you're a giant, I mean, obviously, you're not sure. Okay, and I like this one. This is the modern English version. I don't usually share this one with you. It's MEV, if you're looking for the acronym. And it says, and there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come from the giants. And in our eyes, we were like grasshoppers, and so we were in their eyes. They did not know how they looked in the sight of the Canaanites. This is just them embellishing it. The Canaanites might have looked like the giants, but the spies talked themselves out of blessing the blessing of the possession. They literally talk themselves out of it. Just like back in that scenario I gave you when the doctor sits and says, yes we found leukemia, you can talk yourself into death simply because you're going to go by what he said, you're going to find out all the information regarding that report never considering what the word of God says because you're spending all of that time with all the rest of it and the enemy is coming in like a flood with the thoughts, ideas and suggestions and you know what? You can surely die and it's all in your hands because you had to make the decision of whose report were you going to believe. It is just that simple. So because of what and when they saw these things, when they, the spies went out, Satan, of course, came in immediately. And what did he say to them? He automatically said, oh, what did you see? Did you see those big giants? There is absolutely no way you're going to beat them. You'd better back off. They're going to take you out. Hmm. Okay. But God had told them, "I'm giving you the land." He told them that. Just like God has said to us we are healed. God has said to us we are rich. So if we are healed and if we are rich there should be no reason why we accept anything other than healing in our lives. There should be no reason that we accept unpaid bills. That's not acceptable because he promised me. But if you don't know that and if you don't take to task and believe it Sit there and don't have your bills paid. That's up to you. I'm not for that. I am taking him at his word because he is a man that will not lie. And he promised to take care of me. And you know what? Nobody takes care of me better than he does. So here's the thing. And this really gets me with these precious little people. It was just a few days earlier, okay, that they had come from one of the most miraculous events in the Bible. We see it every single time, you know, when we see the Ten Commandments. They all, they, I've always loved this part, though, so it's OK. When the whole Egyptian army was drowned in the Red Sea, and they walked across on dry land. Now, come on. If you saw that, OK? I mean, you didn't read about it like we do. They saw that, but now they're afraid of the giants? Okay, Because of what they have seen, they just saw the Red Sea literally part, and they walked across. He could have just blown, and the giants could have fallen. I mean, to me, I don't even understand why that was a challenge. But Satan, of course, came in after that little ridiculous report, and he flooded them with thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. He dropped it into their minds. And because, here's the key, they had an unmaintained thought life, And again, it is clear that all thoughts don't come from the devil himself, but whether from the devil, from the ear, or the eye, we must diligently maintain our thought life. They did not do that. And that was what created the challenge. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and we're going to look at verse 5. And I'm going to read it to you out of the easy to read and then out of the message, because this is really, really key. Second Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Chapter 10 in 2nd Corinthians, verse five. Now we know this pretty well in the New King James, that's why I'm not reading it from there. So if we look at it in the easy to read, Are you guys there? Okay, it says, and we tear down every proud idea that raises itself against the knowledge of God. We also capture every thought and make it give up and obey Christ. That's what we are to do. The message says, and this is really key, the world is undisciplined. It's dog eat dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair. And we don't live or fight our battles that way, never have and never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entire massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophy, philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, which we know is the word, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. In other words, we have to take the thoughts and measure them by our Bible armor. That's what we have to do. If there is a question about, if I were to say to you, This table, the circumference of it looks like it's 12 inches. I'd be way off. But I mean, I could say that, okay? We don't have to argue about it. I could just ask Ms. Karen for a ruler, and we could put the ruler up here and know what is 12 inches. Then there's really nothing else to discuss. That settles it. 12 inches, it's the ruler. It says it, we believe it. Would you agree with that? Okay. The Word of God is our ruler okay? It's nothing to argue over. You don't have to. The Word tells you exactly what it is that you're supposed to do and it doesn't leave anything out. It's not vague. It's not saying, well I think it's so-and-so. It is telling you what it is. So every thought must be brought into the obedience of Christ or the Word of God. Who may the devil devour? It is those who fail to maintain their thought life properly. Now How do we use our Bible knowledge to maintain our thought life? If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, because I'm going to give you six things. Okay, how do we use our Bible knowledge to maintain our thought life? Number one, we have to remember that our armor is what we know about the truth. I'll repeat that. Number one. We must remember that our armor is what we know about the truth. Number two, it's also what we know about righteousness. Number three, what we know about the gospel of peace. The next thing, and most important, of course, is what we know about faith. Then, what we know about salvation. And lastly, what we know about the Word of God. Those six things are our protection. Again, knowledge and its proper use does what? It's what wins the battles. And the proper use of what we know begins with that principle. So here's another principle that's called thought identification. Oh, I like this. The identification of each thought that comes our way must be our first line of defense. Because think about it, that analogy I gave you about sitting in the doctor's office. Your first line of defense when the doctor gives you that negative report is to press the pause button and say, by his stripes, I am healed. I do not accept, receive, or entertain any thought that does not line up with the truth. The truth is the word of God. The word of God says that every single sickness, every single disease, that includes leukemia from this particular um, story that I gave you. Whatever it is, I am the healed of the Lord. But that's a split decision. You decide then and there which direction you're going to go in with that. Okay, so it's our first line of defense. This identification process can't just be limited to thoughts that suggest fear or failure or defeat. Because you've got to remember, Satan is a deceiver. That's his job. Therefore, we must investigate every thought, every single thought. Should I eat this piece of chocolate cake or should I pass on it? Okay? I mean, that's not a real negative report, but it's still a thought we got to figure out. You know, should we or should we not? It told us to bring, the, what we just read in Second Corinthians 10.5, it told us to bring every thought into captivity. That means that we do have to investigate every thought as it approaches us to determine if it's friend or if it's foe okay and we have to be honest with ourselves be authentic this is your life we're talking about this is not just something that sounds cute this is your actual life okay so if I eat that extra piece of chocolate cake do I really want it showing up on my behind I don't think so so therefore I will forego it okay but that's a thought I got to figure it out I have to analyze it and I have to make a decision okay remember when thoughts come They're going to sound familiar because they're going to sound just like you. Because we already discussed, the enemy will not use an unfamiliar voice because we talked about that. Because if Satan came with a strange voice, you know it right away. He's like almost a mimicker, okay, or like a ventriloquist with the little dummies. (laughs) So he'll make it sound just like you so that you'll take responsibility for the thought because it will seem as if it originated with you. And that's what's so subtle about it. And that's why we've got to be so careful. It's something that requires a lot of practice. If you practice doing something over and over and over again, it becomes a habit. It doesn't become a habit just because you said, this is a habit. That's obvious. You take people, you take little children that you're trying to train that they need to wash their teeth, be, you know, brush their teeth before they go to bed, wash their face. You don't wash up. This is what you have to do before you go to bed. They don't just, you say that once and they just say, okay, and they just go do it. I mean, maybe they do. That takes an exceptional child. Most of the time, you have to kind of gently remind them, did you brush your teeth? You know, did you wash your hands before dinner? Now, after you do that a while, they get the picture and then they just do it automatically that, and only then, is when it becomes a habit. So what we're talking about doing here, we have to develop the habit, and we've got to do the work. It's going to take some work on our part, okay? Now, your investigation must begin with one simple question. Does the thought that seeking entrance into my life, I love that, does the thought seeking entrance into my life agree with my Bible armor? And I already gave you the Bible armor. Number one, does it agree with what I know about truth, what I know about righteousness, what I know about salvation, what I know about faith? Does it agree with what I know about the gospel of peace and the word of God? Does this thought agree with my Bible-formed beliefs? Because let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, everybody has a belief system. Whether we want to admit it or not, we do. For the Christian, it's the Bible. It's what we build our lives on. And it's the reason, and this is the sad part, that so many Christians are being destroyed. It's because of a lack of knowledge of what the Bible says. They honestly don't know. It is our measuring tool. It is the final authority in our lives. It is It it explains everything to us. There is nothing that you need to struggle with. You don't have to. It's written in the word. The answer is there for you. But if you don't do the work, you won't know. And then if you're defeated, I I hate to put it this way to you, but it's totally your own fault. It is just your own fault. So am I saying to you that you have to examine every single thought that comes? You know, you may ask that question. My answer is, I'm not telling you to do that, no. I, you know, Personally, I would like for you to do it. But really, when the rubber meets the road, it's up to you. I'm not telling you to do anything. The Bible is telling you to do it. So again, if you don't want to be obedient to the Bible, that is your total, complete choice. Now here's something that's very interesting to me. Paul chose the symbolism of war to stress the importance of maintaining our minds. And the reason why that is so important is because during wartime, and I want you to imagine this, because this relates to us now. See, we sit over here all cushy and think everything is so wonderful. There are men on the battlefield protecting us and giving us the ability to be here freely. They're putting their lives on the line right now as we speak. Okay, because we are in the midst of a lot of wars. See, they put all that silly stuff on TV with all the tweets like we really care. Okay, they're not telling us about the men over there who are giving up their lives and the women who are leaving their families at home to be over there fighting for us. Nobody's talking about that, but it is happening. Okay, well, just think about it. During this time of war that they are fighting, They have to kind of protect the camp where they're housed. They're not just sitting there and, you know, playing checkers or something and thinking everything's okay. They have to actually have guards that are on duty to protect the perimeter of this place where they are at because they got to watch each other's back. Those guards don't have a nine to five job and then they just say, okay, it's five o'clock, let's just go and we're going to play some more checkers or chess. No. They actually have people who are on patrol 24 hours a day to protect themselves. If they can do that in the midst of war, we as believers living in this earth realm we are in the midst of war we have got to protect what's going on around us and we don't have the ability to do it nine to five we can't just do it on thursday night bible study and when we come on sunday morning worship service we better be doing it every single moment that we draw breath and live because that is the only way we're going to have the victory that God wants us to have. And I have got to quit because I really ran out of time. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212 749